Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Therapist Uncensored. This is a podcast that breaks down interpersonal science into practical and understandable tidbits. And as you listen, I can just imagine little light bulbs of insight appearing above your head. Absolutely. You're going to be surprised and touched at what you learn about yourself as you get more accurate and in-depth view of your mind and your heart, and as you figure out those close to you. Therapist Uncensored brings you decades of experience with interpersonal psychotherapy, relational neuroscience, modern attachment, and anything else they think will be helpful in healing humans. Now here are your co-hosts, Dr. Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. Hey, y'all. Welcome back. They're going to be saying, us, where have you guys been? (laughs) That's true. We're welcomed back. We thought that being the holidays and all that going a little silent for a couple of weeks might not be noticed. But uh, gratefully, uh, we were. We were noticed. (laughs) Exactly right. A couple of listeners called us out and was like, what are you doing? You know, where are where'd you go? So we're so grateful for that. In particular, there was one that was really the first one that said anything was Camille. And we want to thank you. Here's the thing. Ann and I have been hit with these super weird, unexpected cluster of family illnesses that we are, we want to be responsive to. And so we've been a little bit inundated. So we ducked for a little while, didn't think anybody would notice and somebody did. So thank you. It means somebody's listening. It's so weird to think that. Right. But we are back. Here's the cool thing. I know a lot of you love attachment and really want to hear more of the attachment stuff. We get that feedback a lot. So you were going to be happy with today's episode. Right. Today, we're going to talk about attachment from, we talk a lot about the descriptions about how somebody in a more secure or who leans more towards dismissing or blue or preoccupied or red, kind of the outward behaviors, et cetera, that are inward experiences that one might have. But today, we're going to talk about kind of what's going on in the neurology and the brain of each one. Don't sweat it. We're not going to like do a whole bunch of brain anatomy or something like that. One, we're really not qualified to do that, truthfully. We're not neuroscientists. However, we are therapists that really care about the parts of the mind that really affect human relating. So we're going to touch on a few things. And this is fun, cool stuff. Here's the truth. I knew that it was connected. I was positive of that. But I hadn't seen the data yet. And so now we have some data. Yeah, that's really exciting. And one of the reasons it'd be fun to talk about it, like you said, we're not going to get an all embedded, but one of the things that's fun is it helps if for those of us that are in the blue or red or even like it helps us to go, oh, that's why I do that. It's not just like this conscious, intentional experience is that your whole body is responding in such a way and for good reason. And understanding that can really help you kind of go, oh, that makes a lot of sense. That's our hope, right? That's exactly right. And so for anybody new, the basic gist of it is that how we react to people and how we react to ourselves from an emotional basis is innately hardwired by our early experience. That's what we talk about when we talk about attachment. So that basically how we were treated, what our environment was, we learned to do whatever we needed to do to keep ourselves safe. Right. We to keep ourselves safe in infancy and how we learn ends up creating a blueprint for us. And it's a blueprint about how we relate to each other in safe ways. And when we feel threatened, what happens in our body and how we process information, both emotionally and through intellectual, how do we process the information coming at us and what do we do with it? 
Yes, and exactly. And how we process, you know, we, we say stuff like that, but we never really say what that means. Exactly. What does that mean, how we process? And really, so we're going to talk a lot about information encoding. Here's the thing is like always the robust research, the incredible research on attachment. And again, if you're unfamiliar, please refer back to some of the uh, earlier episodes, 59 through 61 is good is, you know, all about the spectrum. And there's a whole bunch in there about that. So we're not going to recover that. I know many of you are like, thank heavens. <laughs> but instead, the gist of it is that the bulk of the research, and there has been 50 years now of research on this that and we get the categories but why is there only three to five you know say three say four categories why is there only that many when we have this universal world and incredibly different environments that each of us are born into why is that (laughs) (laughs) that's such a great question such a great question thank you for asking me Anne. (laughs) um well the why is that it all has to do with our body And so basically under threat, there's not much, there's just a few things that happen. In ideal circumstances, we keep a social engagement system happening. No big deal. Everybody does well when we're secure. So what a social engagement, see, we as therapists, social engagement system means everything to us. But let me, for those of you out there, they're not used to psychobabble. (laughs) Oh, Oh. did you catch me doing psychobabble? (laughs) Social Social engagement means how we engage with one another. I need to put a quarter in the box or something. (laughs) (laughs) So social engagement, she's meaning sort of how we remain connected to others in our environment. That's right. It's our eyes. Right. It's eye contact. It's voice, using our voice, speaking, calling a friend instead of zipping up and handling it ourselves, not even thinking to reach out. Right. And Um, some of us from an innate learned place see social engagement as, oh my God, I'm upset. That's a really great thing. Other of us have learned that that's not so safe to reach out socially hasn't been effective and it hasn't been effective as an infant. So it's not now so that it actually can feel more threatening. And so having said that, we're going to talk about why that is in the brain. So the neuroscience points to different emotional processing and social cognition data, everything from vigilance, attention, monitoring, perceptual judgment and memory. And I know you're going to go, okay, what do you mean by that? Sue, right? So we'll get to that, but the general gist of it is, and here's the most simple way to say it. So think of information is coming in, right? right. Here it's it comes. Co- we can see it coming in. Information, information from the world, right? How we, what we see, what we hear. Particularly social, emotional information is what we're interested in today. So a new person comes in and greets you, for example, and you can feel them very interested in meeting you. Let's just say that. That's social information coming in. Right. You're gonna, and you can get so much information. Just think about it. Somebody's greeting you. What is their expression like? Are they maintaining your eye contact? Do you see Are you their... running the other way so they're just seeing the back of your head? <laughs> Do you see their eyes a little shifty? Are you like a chimpanzee and grabbing onto them <laughs> with your legs around their waist? <laughs> we do all kinds of crazy stuff, don't we? We absolutely do. <laughs> so sorry. So social emotional information coming in. So imagine you're playing a video game and you see the uh, plane coming at you, right? That's the social emotional information. The person's beginning to address you. Some of us, naturally, the way that our hardwiring, our software over our hardware, in other words, what has been encoded from us from our childhood, 
they'll just see exactly what's actually happening. They'll see a friendly face. They'll see an arm extended in a handshake. And then they'll see the arms going around their shoulders for the hug. And they'll be reading everything relatively accurately. They're not going to be threatened by... They can see actually the whole story of what's happening. Both positively, they take it in. But also if there's something about the flat face or the lack of eye contact that feels a little threatening. You mean somebody coming towards coming you. Towards you. That is has an expression that might actually be threatening. So it's it's what you're saying is somebody might be more accurate as somebody in what we're speaking about is somebody more in a secure state uh, is secure attachment or secure, secure state. We've talked about it as both. If you're feeling or in a more secure state, you're going to be more able to accurately read. That's right. That person coming towards even you. the negative information. So let's say they're pissed. And you can see that for some reason they're angry. You don't go for the hug. Well, but and also you don't block out that information. Right. But you also don't amplify that information. Increase it. Right. Mm -hmm. You don't increase it. You just are reading it and you can read the whole picture and you can respond in a way that is um, sort of mindful and, and appropriate to whatever that incoming information is. Now, some people, for listeners of our podcast, that's going to be people that are, like you said, Anne, either kind of live green or that are in that moment in a green state, meaning a a balance of thinking and feeling. What it means neurologically is that they have access to their front of their mind and the top of their mind, their default mode. All the good stuff is working. And so they can see, oh, that's their anger or that's, oh, wow, she's really excited to meet me. (laughs) I don't know who this person is. (laughs) Like you can kind of have this uh, running narrative about what's happening and it's not threatening. It's not aversive either. Right. As long as it's not threatening. Right. 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 So as long as what's coming at you is not threatening, threatening, you're saying the frontal lobe. And so there, I guess the operative word is also sort of there's an active integration. There's an integration. From the, from the frontal lobe that's taking in information and is integrated with your, all of your senses that says this is safe and accurate and I can feel calm and open. So that's another experience of staying open. So from a neuroscience perspective now, and we'll link the couple of articles in the show notes, of course, as always, but some people, there's groups of people that actually shut out that social information. And they don't notice, like if you say, good job with a happy face, some people will, it'll register in their dopamine and in their neurotransmitters as this little happy spiked moment. Wow, I'm just, you know, the teacher just called on me and said, great question or whatever it was. And that feels pleasurable. And so because it feels pleasurable, somebody in a secure place that gets a compliment and things coming at them, it builds their neurotransmitters are open and active to giving the dopamine or possibly the hug induces oxytocin. So it's a reward feedback system. A reward feedback system is exactly right. Right. The problem is people, uh, let's start on the blue side. They miss it. So let's say the blue side, for those who are not familiar, brief thing, that is what falls on a more dismissing attachment style and at times dismissing a state, but it's a state of, and that's what we're going to explain, not just from understanding what the blue manifest of missing it, but why, what happens neurologically. That's right. So there's different parts of the mind that encodes information. And this there's really actual live fMRI where you can actually see the mind working while something's happening. That people that will tend to lean blue, they literally are missing the positive information. So they don't get the little oxytocin hit. They don't get the pleasure 
of positive interaction, but they also avoid the negative interaction. So if someone initially, so let's say someone is coming to them very quickly or trying to talk to them about something emotional or is crying, what happens in folks that tend to lean blue or tend to be more dismissing First of all, it's not noticed or there's like it's pushed out. It's aversive. But if it's the incoming is high enough to get in, then it's upsetting. It's upsetting to their system. They don't know what to do with it. It's like, let, here, here's the Kleenex, you know, <laughs> here, let me fix this. Oh, why are you talking to me about this? Tears Ah, let's fix it. Okay. Don't be friends with them anymore. <laughs> right. That, right. right. Um, so they really try to shut down the emotional information. They're slower to notice subtleties on people's face. They're slower to respond. And I don't mean behaviorally. What I'm saying is in the brain, the parts of the brain that notice social emotional interactions the, the, the parts of the don't brain, get lit up. So the parts of the brain that we're seeing in these fMRIs that will typically, in somebody more secure, light up, you're saying in a, in a dismissing, somebody that has been classified more in a dismissing attachment, you note that those areas of the brain don't light up, that That's, they're actually not encoding or registering. They're not registering it. And to remind the listeners that part of, one of the reasons that is, is from a very young infant stage, they learned that their own negative emotions and other negative emotions aren't attended to. So they've learned, and these are one of the ways that their brain has adjusted to this, is to become more self-regulating and more self-protective. And so in that, they have learned to rule out some of that information coming in to not be so affected by it. That's right. So basically there's an inhibition Mm -hmm. um, that we inhibit our own information about our own bodies and what we need. And we inhibit other people's information about what they need. And and you're right, Anne, exactly that's right. Because we learned very, very early on that to stay close to our parents, we needed to inhibit and either play happily or not appear to need much. And this is all out of awareness. This is an important point. And this, again, is really supported by the research. And I want to get to that a little bit more detail later, but that there's two operating systems happening. One of it is unconscious. And it's, you may have heard of polyvagal theory, regulation. That's the, it's the autonomic nervous system. This is happening when we're in a dismissing state. We don't know that we're missing information. We're like, what? Like a lot of times in couples, you'll see like, what? I thought we were fine. What's the problem? You do hear that a lot in couples where one individual is dismissing. And the other person is in tears. And the other person and they're, and somebody's dismissed. They're not responding. And it can create anger because because you may feel like, your partner doesn't care. It's like picking it up, but ignoring it or not being responsive. And if you have this information, they may not actually notice the subtleties. They may not be picking it up. Oh, they're not picking it up. It's not. <laughs> so, they're not. So for those of you that are in relationship with people that tend to be blue, it, this is like a paint by numbers, you know? So let's just say like when I'm in a blue state, I want it to be very clear, you know? Sue, I need that. When you do this, it makes me, you know what I mean? Like, I don't give me the nonverbals and all that stuff because I'm both consciously actively pushing it out, but also unconsciously. I, my brain is not responding to the nuance. I've seen, you know, I, I think you can imagine that sometimes that happens where somebody has been angry at their partner for days and then the individual that is more dismissing is shocked. Right. Like, they knew that their partner was angry, but they were shocked at their original reason because they didn't encode it at all. It they was like, and, it. and then they're like, how did you not know that? And it's really helpful. And that's why this information is so wonderful to have. 
they may not know it because they literally didn't encode it and they didn't encode it not because they don't care. Exactly. And not, Thank you. And not because they're not incredibly loving, wonderful individuals. It's because that information might not have gotten to them in a self-protective way, in the same way that it might you. And then, but once they are brought into awareness of it, especially in a regulated way, right? The difficult thing for somebody who's in a, a more blue, that if information is brought to them, like you With said. With a hammer. <laughs> yes. In an extremely... How could you not know this about me? Oh, especially the you to me, right? But if it's brought to somebody in a more blue state in a really elevated way, because what you said earlier it's is so terrifying. Important. Yeah, you said that earlier. It's like either they don't notice it, or if they do, they feel it intensely. So if one's it comes to their attention. It's terrifying. Absolutely. And, and that can happen frequently because if your partner's not seeing you respond to it for a period of time, by the time they want you, they're up to a 10 telling you about it. Now you hear it and your whole body, somebody in a blue state will get completely overwhelmed and can. And then let's talk about that. Neurologically, what happens to somebody in the blue once that information is encoded on a negative way in an intense level? Right. What so, happens? Right. So there's an, there's an avoidance, there's an inhibition, there's a not noticing, you know, that goes on for a little while. But then if something does punch through, it's extremely frightening. And there's an aversive reaction to the emotional neediness is how it's experienced. And there's an urge to fix it. But there's not a lot of thinking. There's not a lot of mental representation where that the person is saying, oh, you know, Anne always gets upset when she's, you know, so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. Like, this is a thing that Anne does. Like, there's not that encoding of a mental map of the other person or even of ourselves. Like, oh, I don't notice these things till it's too late. And then I freak out about it. And this is an important distinction because somebody that is, and what's so cool about this is this is actually now, it's not just that we can separate secure and insecure on um, brain scans and on fMRIs. We can even separate insecure, anxious and insecure avoidant. And this is science. This is actually real. So by watching brain scans and seeing them respond to different encoding of emotional stimulus, we can actually then predict a more blue attachment versus a more green attachment That's right. or versus a more red attachment by the way that information gets encoded in the brain. Or the multicolor scarf, which several of our uh, audience members is like, say more about the multicolor scarf, which is basically disorganized attachment or unresolved attachment. So right now we're still, we're on the um, avoidant. And also, by the way, what's really cool about this neuroscience is that it's not just with attachment disruptions. It's any psychopathology. So basically anything, any mental illness that has to do with regulation. So regulating your emotions, calming, calming yourself down or being able to get back into a centered state once you get upset. That's right. And so if we can begin to notice that we tend to inhibit information, not notice things. I'm thinking of somebody, for example, that I know that they're in their marriage. The other person's not happy at all. But when you talk to the other person, they're like, oh, we're great. And they mean it. And they really mean it. And so sometimes what we do as therapists is we have to like raise the alarm bells and get the person that's more blue to actually feel distress so that they pay attention. Because only when they pay attention can then they begin to like learn about themselves or learn about their partner or encode it or begin to care. Otherwise, it's only going to be an intrusion and something to fix and get away from. Right. What you're saying is that the distress is going to be the intrusion or something to get away from. And so, and it's just going to sound like a complaint. And so 
part of our goal in wanting to really highlight that, whether you fall on the blue at times or whether your partner does or whether your child does or is to learn that these aren't conscious and intentional things, that these are brain maps that are happening and that the best way, and this is why we love to talk about this on the continuum, is to find strategies to go towards someone that brings safety because this reminds you about attachment is about threat. It's when we feel threat, our body activates in these directions. And so being able to understand even yourself, like, oh my gosh, if, if information's coming too fast at me, so you learn to be able to speak about it for yourself and other people so that you can learn to be more open and encode information or calmly take it in. So one of the things, again, on this blue side from a neurological standpoint is that because they've inhibited, 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 what we will tend to do on that side is we overestimate the value we have and how good we are. So our view of ourselves, because we're not paying attention to information, then we just assume we're okay. And then the threat is outside when someone else is upset because we tend to not be upset because we're not feeling it. So basically the model is, and you'll see this in some of the adult attachment literature, is that I'm okay, but you're not. Now let's flip over to the other side, which is the opposite on the red side, the encoding is I'm not okay and you're okay. In other words, I need you to regulate me. I need you to soothe me. I need you to comfort me. So there's a lot of proximity seeking from a neuroscience standpoint. When the earlier we were talking about the example of the person coming, like a, there's a social emotional information where we're playing a game and here comes the incoming, the incoming information, which let's say again is the same stranger who's approaching the person that tends to go red. What we notice in fMRIs is that they will notice social information much faster than all of the other categories. Including the secure category. Including the secure for sure. So they notice it very quickly. Um, so what you're saying is that their brain gets very lit up and very stimulated very, lit up. very quickly. And that, that Especially work, with strangers. Oh, that makes sense because strangers we don't have familiarity to. So that then because of their experience growing up, that they've had to tune into the environment. And you've heard us, if you if if you've heard our podcast before on this, you've heard us speak about hypervigilance or vigilance. So what you're describing here, Sue, is the vigilance from a brain scan perspective in that the attention, and they can't help but to bring in this information. They're not like sometimes people of partners will might complain, you know, why do you pay attention to so many details? Why do you overread everything? And it's it, here to they say. They can't help it. They they're, they're actually literally getting more information than the average Joe. So they do notice like, you know, you might say, but I did text you back. And they're like, oh, nope, nope, you definitely did not. You know, and and if you go back and look, they're probably right. Like they're in, but here's the problem: they encode a ton of information, but they don't encode it accurately necessarily. We talked at the beginning about secure people when information is coming in; they can see the complexity. But when you move to the right, basically, and, and when you're a little bit more uh, anxious, avoidant—I mean, I'm sorry, insecure, anxious, preoccupied—all of those red, but the, yeah, red, right? When, when we lean red. We are going to gather a lot of information, but we can often misread it. And we misread it in the direction of it being negative and threatening. So we're more likely to be angry. We're more likely to be externalizing. And like you did this to me, we're more likely to underestimate what we have done to cause that to happen. Well, and let's think about that, because if what is encoding is that we need to look and scan the environment to make sure we're safe, that 
we're going to need to be externally focused. So we're not trying to divert the responsibility out intentionally. It's that our brain is so focused on the outside Because we haven't had enough holding and we haven't had enough caring and we haven't had enough security. We feel like we have to grab onto it. Right. And because it's been inconsistent, you have to keep really vigilant of when is that secure when it's not. So the brain is picking up so much information, more than a secure individual, much more than somebody in a, in a more dismissing, that that information's coming. So if you're externally having to pick up all this information, guess what? You don't have, you can feel alarm in your body to the external environment. Guess what you're not as attuned to, and you don't have as much neurological space to, and that's encoding your own information besides the information of threat. That's right. And we, and we just believe our feelings. Let's say the actual neutral stimulus, the na- actual neutral information coming in was say at a five. Let's say an example would be a five would be a stranger approaching us with a neutral expression, with a fairly neutral expression and coming at you and coming towards you. So if you tend to lean red, you're more likely, first of all, to have a faster response and a stronger response, and it will tend to be negative. So you might notice that they're not smiling versus say a secure person would just not quite know what's happening. So you're saying a secure person would see a neutral face and imagine it more neutral. We'll see it as neutral. A neutral, whereas somebody that runs more in the red sees a neutral face and is going to feel that more threatening, more negative. They're going to over-interpret it. Yeah, and not from a thinking perspective. This is unconscious. Basically, the amygdala will fire faster and stronger as it appraises, so that basically the brain is always scanning and appraising. And this is an important distinction actually between the more dismissing side and the more anxious side, which is the appraisal system is off on both sides. But on the blue side, we appraise down and we don't notice. On the red side, we appraise up and we notice we have more false positives, basically. And so since the threat system is going to be activated more quickly and and stronger, because like that neutral face, like you said, they won't think it. Their bot. It's neuroception. Their, their it's out of your awareness. Their body's going to feel. The body's it. going to perceive something frightening because you're not actively showing social cues of safety. So the appraisal. This is the uh, sort of brain talk. The appraisal, in other words, as the brain scans, and that, then it makes sense of it and decides right. what it is. That's the appraisal. We're making the, right. sense of it, and we're, we're deciding. Anticip- the brain is an anticipation machine. Mm-hmm. So you see the person coming, you're anticipating something. If your body is one that will, you know, have a little bit more of a threat reaction, that's what we're talking about. And guess what it does is then behaviorally, you know, we basically create a story about it in our mind. Now we're actually thinking. And also behaviorally, we're going to be bigger and more responsive. That's why that sometimes there's a much more often behavioral dysregulation, meaning, thrown punches into drywall or slammed doors or, you know, behavioral activation. It's not because they're being jerks or trying to intimidate. I mean, sometimes that might be the case, I'm sure. But it's actually that their body is feeling like it matches the threat level. Right. And what you're saying, Sue, is that when one experiences threat, we know then that we're having an intensive reaction inside our body that involves trans cortisol and a stress response. It's going to then activate what you're saying is activate our body up. And then when your body is activated up, your energy's up, right? Yeah. So and it changes your perception even of things. Right. So you're going to, you're going to change. And then 
If we think about it that way, our body's activated and we are basically engagement machines. So what, when you come across and you're activated and you're responding in an activated way, guess what happens? How do people respond to you? Exactly. So you, that's like we're, <laughs> right. I love that because it's like, I've, I've talked about it before of like, that we end up throwing these little pebbles because we feel like somebody's thrown a pebble at us. But the other, the first person didn't think they threw a pebble. <laughs> and so all of a sudden somebody's getting these little microaggressions or even direct aggressions. And so then they're getting somebody to be, to throw the pebble back. Like, what? What do you mean? You know, or like respond to match the response. And the person's like, see, I told you, you were mad to begin with. You oh my know? gosh. Yes. You, it's so often that you can kind of see that engagement. I always say, you know, no matter where the record stops, you, you like, in other words, like we as just humans think we're reacting to somebody else. We forget our own, but as a, a, somebody that lives a little bit more in the red is so activated in that. And we talked earlier about less responsive to their own body. So they are responding to the cue. So when they're, when you're activated in a red state and somebody sees you, they interpret you as more threatening and respond in that way. Right. So then what you said earlier is more we false positive reality. So then there's more affirming of your belief that that what that individual was actually threatening or maybe let's think it of a different way. That person's critical or that person's judging you because now you're activated. And so then you might experience an expression of towards you that then confirms the negative in your own head, but you don't realize that you've been part of generating that. Okay, and I have this example and it'll be on me like I'm not going to look great in this, but it is true. So I used to co-lead a group with a male therapist who I loved then and still love. We're very good friends, but we would begin to get in these heated arguments about what was happening in the group, like, like after the group. And he found this way to manage me that was so brilliant. What he would do is all of a sudden he would go, uh, Sue, I, I, I think that I'm, um, I think I must have done something. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Uh, well, I, I think uh, I must have, you must be feeling criticized. He would say, I must have come across in some way that's critical. And it was so disarming. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? But basically, it was his backwards way of saying that I was being defensive, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And the reason it was so effective was he was pulling it back to himself. I'm, I must have really zinged you just a moment ago because the way you're behaving. <laughs> but it was so incredibly effective. I was completely unconscious. So basically, let's go back to the model is that some information was coming in. He didn't like something I did, let's say. And somehow that and he's and that's just kind of a neutral you get to not like it. So let's call right. it a five, right? He's just giving me straight information. I don't know that that would ever be completely neutral because nobody likes hearing something they don't like. But, but I, I mean, get what saying. I'm talking about is the data. The, the actual right. information is not like right. you're a terrible person. It was just like whatever it was. Why right. didn't you mention something about people being out? I don't know what it was. But unconsciously, my sympathetic system would get up and I would respond in some sort of defensive way. This is for this example. But rather than him his body going into a sympathetic, you know, no, I'm telling you that, you know, him re just responding to me. In just responding to your way. alarm state with That's an right. alarm. He was able to completely deactivate it by saying, I must have done something to upset you. I think you must be feeling criticized. You know, I think, I think I was a little critical when I said that. Here, let me try it again. And then it immediately would turn around. I'm like, no, 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 you're not critical. And which would actually help me remember, no, he's not being critical. This is the normal stuff that co-therapists have to do. And so then my thinking gets back on track. But he's also giving me feedback that I'm 
not hearing him well. So it was this perfect intervention. And so for those of you that are in relationships with somebody that can run red, like, I think that's a great example of a how to, right? Is right. like, oh, I must be, you know, I really, I must have said that more harshly than I meant because of course she would be upset about that. You Which know? is very different than you're being so defensive. Why are you being so defensive? Like what that statement, what does that mean? <laughs> I'm going to tell you in a critical way that you're being very defensive. <laughs> And I love that. So you're saying is your body was a hype, you know, took whatever that neutral information. co-regulation. That's the example is that you took that information that would ostensibly be pretty neutral, but it threatens your body. But I didn't a, know it. I'm not thinking it. This is a, yeah. this part is the unconscious uh, polyvagal, just neuroception. I was, I was feeling threatened when I actually wasn't. That's a lovely example because you don't even realize you're threatened, but your body's activated. I thought I was just explaining myself. <laughs> So and in in had you continued and then he responded defensively or gotten really upset, you'd affirm that he was being critical of you, right? He just said, you know, if he just said you're being so defensive, now he really is being critical of you. Right. You might you might affirm that. Where instead he disarmed that, and you could all of a sudden feel your own body more. You were you were able in taking the threat out, right? And then I you, felt a little embarrassed that I must have been being a little defensive, <laughs> which is good, right? That's it's perfect. A, that's a much more related. Going back to what we said earlier, that's a that's a social emotional relationship now, right? Versus just that I'm in, caught in my own uh, injury. It's a perfect example. It's like I like to say that there's space in between you, and so now instead of his body responding through threat, it. He, he just responded with himself. And all of a sudden, the big important part is you were able to feel yourself more, even yes. if you felt embarrassed. And as we said before, it's very hard to, for somebody in a red state to feel themselves. So having a non-defensive response back, you were able to go, hmm. Well, I would say they can feel themselves in a way, but they just, everything's elevated. Mm-hmm. And the focus is external. So again, for therapists, for people that are in close relationships, if we can get the person to begin to shift and, and feel more what they're actually feeling, it can be down regulating. Now, here's the other cool thing uh, from the neuroscience research is there's this whole thing about reappraisal, meaning something happens, a little disruption that again, secure people, not secure people, but people who are in a secure state are very quick to take in new information and to adjust their story of what's happening. So they take in information and they say, oh my gosh, this person looks kind of scary and is approaching me really fast and they're threatened, but then they can readjust and see that they're in a hurry or something. And and when we, any of us are in a more secure state, we're more able to do that and integrate the information. That's right. And so they're also more likely to hold on to the whole mental representation of the other person. So let's say... You're late to the for us to come and record. If I'm in a more secure state, I can hold on to what that means about who you are. I can hold on to our history together. I can hold on to our future together. In other words, I can appraise the situation from this much from a very wide angle. Right. But and then let's say if I'm in a blue state, I might just turn away and start doing something else, and then sort of be surprised to see you. And the whole thing is as if nothing has happened, or as as if I don't care which actually might make you more late the next time, mm-hmm. just in that example. That's a good example. And then in the red, it would be, where are you? Where have you been? You know, because that my body's alarmed. And it's, again, this is not a moral issue. This part is the unconscious biologic response. In the brain response. That's right. Now here, another distinction between anxious and dismissive is that somebody who lands, kind of leans more in the red category 
we can get up, we get upset fast, but we can calm ourselves down if needed. And versus if we're more blue, once we get upset, it's there's not a whole lot of reappraisal. There's not a whole lot of so it's cooling har- off. It's, it's harder you can to cut off, but you don't. There's no repair. There's no. There's nothing good. <laughs> so in a dismissing place, it's a little harder to get upset, more neutral, not necessarily as reactive. But, but once then, upset, yes, yes, right, once upset, once it then penetrates it. The body's very, very, very activated. To go back for one second, though, when you were talking about the red and the late, and you yes. were saying the mental representation, you're right. saying in the red state, right, that if I'm late. And you're like, where are you? You're more actually able to see that as an alarm and then speak a little bit more about okay. how your appraisal would be off. So basically we have more access and the, the research, the neurologic research is more robust with anxious than it is with any of the other ones because there's more to see. So basically, for example, when I'm in that state, I will be more alarmed and I'll be more quick to notice that, you know, you're a minute late versus later or something, you know, 20 or something. And I will react to it more negatively. But, okay, we're going to come in. We are going to record. I can calm down. We're going to do it. But here is the rub. So you can calm down. I can calm down if needed, like right, with, or right. with help or with support. I can, it's, you know, I'm better at it than the blue. And partly you're going to calm down because in the red, the attachment and the social relationship is very, very important. Yes. So you're and I, going, I don't, yeah, I don't want to push you away. So you're going to be very invested in calming yes. down and That's re-engaging right. with me. But here's the rub is that the, that the representational system now that's jargon. I can put another quarter in the jar for saying that. But basically, the way that I then encode what happened is more active than in right. the blue. And, and another way to say that is the way that you're going to take information about me. Exactly. And then make sense of me so or I might, our relationship. So I might be okay for that recording, let's say. But I may be storing, like let's say that I've had unreliable people in my life. I may store... I can't count on Anne. Right. You know, don't turn to her. Like I'm more likely to create mental models that fit my attachment history. Rather than what the active, the current relationship is. So it's not as accurate. You have a more net, you're going to put it in a more negative state and hold on to it. And even if you're not actively talking about it. That's right. Which makes it harder to treat because we begin to like collect data. Like, oh, well, that's the fourth time you've been late. Did you know? You know, it'll be that sort of thing. So there is a mental representation right. versus, again, on the more dismissive. It's like it's as if we don't notice that you're late. But what we know about this is we do notice, meaning that like unconsciously, the part that we're not thinking about is recording some sort of a aversion or threat. It's not helping us feel safe in this relationship, but there's no like cognitive thinking about it. We're not going, not aware. oh, I'm a little scared to rely on this person. We don't think that. We mm-hmm. just maybe get a little bit more zipped up. So awesome. that's a really important distinction. And from a treatment perspective, we've got to really watch that on the red side of things that we have to really watch what's actually being encoded mm-hmm. because the like the the 20 times that you've been on time in a row might not get encoded in that same way um, right. and certainly with a somebody who's more dismissive and this is a really important treatment point too you know sometimes we think oh just talk about it you know oh look that person cried that's going to be good for their therapy well if you're really blue 
that's not necessarily true. You don't necessarily get the same oxytocin hit of like, oh, I feel so close to you because now I've shared the secret. Meaning that what you're meaning is that somebody in that is more activated in the blue state because they've cried, they're not, and they're talking to you, don't assume that that's going to then end up in a more positive experience where it might with somebody in the green or the red because the relationship is seen as something to be vulnerable and reach out and that's rewarding to somebody in the the red and the green, somebody blue that doesn't, they don't necessarily experience that as rewarding. Yep, so they miss the positive cues. Right, so they could leave having cried in some relief. feeling better. Right, but it might not necessarily equate to feeling better. That's right. So I'm just saying as a warning, basically as often as therapists, we project that if I were in that situation, oh, I'd feel so relieved I got that out. I'll feel closer to you. Yes, but that's not necessarily the case early on. Like when they're saying like, I don't care or, well, yeah, well, they did that, then whatever. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's not meanness and it's not pushing away intentionally. There really is a different, you don't get the wonderful neurotransmitter pop that we get in these other situations. So, And that's especially for those that are sort of further out on the continuum. Of course, we have to realize that's one reason why we really appreciate talking about this as a continuum, because it's not every somebody in the blue falls all in this exact same way or everyone in the red. There's a lot of variations depending on how much threat happened through your childhood and how much association you have with negative emotions, et cetera. But it is really a good point, Sue, that to not make those assumptions and that one can develop that kind as they develop an atten- a warm attachment to somebody and they open up to that, they can have a more positive experience of that. So it's not necessarily cut and dry, but it's a really great point. Okay. And earlier, you know, I mentioned the multicolor handkerchief. And for those of you who know what I mean, I'm winking at you. We know what we mean. For those of you who have no idea what the heck I mean, there's a video that Anna and I did that, let's see, was it the YouTube video? No, it was the Facebook live video. Go on Facebook, our Facebook page, Facebook uh, Therapist Uncensored. And there's a video that we did that just spontaneously, it was unscripted. But to represent the... Very unscripted. <laughs> no, it's like painful. <laughs> so we had the different colors representing different things. One of them was this multicolor one, which sort of represents basically using multiple strategies, like there's not a coherent, organized strategy. So it's important to understand like there's two kinds of disorganization. There's basically when you just are disorganized across like your internal working model, you don't have an organized, coherent way of approaching the world. Sometimes people are referring to that with disorganization. And then the other is unresolved or which basically means it's related to loss and trauma, mostly. So that there's some very big like a capital T trauma that has that has happened. And the reason I'm saying this is because I want to go back to models of self and model of other. So let's go back to secure. So secure, I assume I'm okay and that my needs are okay. And I assume you're going to meet them, right? It's plus plus. There's a trust. It's, there's That's a trust. The, there's I, a trust that. Right. My, my needs, aren't, needs aren't, I mean, they're a burden, but it's fine, you know, <laughs> and you're a little bit of a pain and that's fine. And I expect you, I have this uh, entitlement is a good word that we're both okay. Is basically what it is. So, and then I mentioned that in more of the dismissing side, I feel like I'm okay and you're not okay. And then on the more preoccupied anxious, I feel like you're okay and I need you to be okay, but I'm not okay. I'm a piece of crap or I'm this or I'm a worm or I'm a lot of things, but I definitely need you to help me. 
But then the multicolor scarf or the disorganization or the unresolved is that I'm not okay and you're not okay. So it's the negative negative typically. So that would look like I know I'm a little screwed up because of my screwed up history and I'm positive there's no one that can help me with this. <laughs> or I see your kindness and trying to help me with this, but you know, I know better. And really you're just trying to get my money or you're just, if you really knew me, you wouldn't be so kind to me. Like we maintain this negative, negative stance about ourselves and the world. So one of the ways to understand that earlier when you were saying, in this case, you don't have an organized way because you don't have a way of regulating your own body or feeling safe and you don't see the environment as safe. So that neither of them, and that's what makes it disorganized, that neither way brings safety and trust and security in a predictable way. That's exactly, that's exactly what I mean. So I liked kind of your quick summary there because I think it's important for us to go back and say what we said just very briefly, which is from a neurobiological side, from our body, just biology, there's a reason that we fall into these very few categories and it has to do with do we upregulate, do we downregulate, are we in the middle, or maybe we use a mix because another way that disorganization happens is that sometimes we do this and sometimes we do that. You know, we approach and we avoid, we hyperactivate and we deactivate that we do the whole mix of things. So as you're leaving, you know, as we wrap up the notion of hyperactivation, like, like an over responsiveness to environmental cues, which is not conscious. It is very important that you hear or intentional. It's not intentional. It's not conscious. And just one tiny little extra layer here that basically the way some authors talk about it, and again, this will be the one of the articles that I post on the show notes, is that there's two kinds of mentalization. And one is a emotional mentalization, which is everything we've been talking about, about the polyvagal, the regula- regulatory system. And we're going to do a whole podcast just on that one system. But basically, it's the neuroception is another word that goes with this. It's not a thought. It's a feel. It's a gut reaction that we probably aren't even conscious of, of liking somebody, not liking somebody, feeling safe, feeling unsafe, when in threat, responding in either a hyper, you know, vigilant way, like you were just saying, Anne, or we inhibit information because it's, there is a threat, but it's not, we're not thinking about it. We just don't notice it. So that's one mentalization. I don't love those terms. We're going to find a better term than just emotional mentalization and cognitive mentalization. The other half of it is when we're actually thinking and we have theory of mind, we have reflective function. It's the story we make of it. So the body creates the story and the story affects the body. And these two things go back and forth. So the story we make of it is our more conscious story. Like what I was saying about like, oh, Anne's the kind of person who's just going to leave me hanging. That's a mental representation of a feeling of threat I had about this absolutely unreal scenario of you being late. That's cognitive mentalization. And so in each of these, we do it differently. And so very quick summary, we go back, secure folks, the incoming information, they can read it accurately, they can reappraise very quickly, they update their working model quickly, and they have access to their theory of mind, reflective function, mentalization, they get maybe why somebody's doing something in a relatively accurate way. So one way to say that last part is that when you say the theory, right, that they're able to recognize 
themselves uh, separate from the reaction they're having or yes. they're able to like, rec- exactly or like, they're wow, able I'm really upset about this what is going on yeah why am I so tense and then the other way for the others you're able to recognize the other person separate from that engagement like so that somebody's coming at you super threatened or like your example with David he has lots of experience with you. And so he knows you open to receive feedback. Yes. And he knows that you're more than willing to do that. <laughs> I'm partially open to receive feedback. <laughs> you're very Apparently. open. <laughs> so he knows that. So knowing that and seeing that threat, he's able to hold not just that one moment, he's able to see you in a mental representation separate from the engagement you were doing. Is which that is, sound which, accurate? That's yeah. perfect, which allowed him to go through his Rolodex of like, oh, Lord, how are we going to deal with this crazy woman? And and say just the things to me that were soothing enough to get my mind back online. And also, frankly, like I said, to give me feedback that I was being a bit defensive. So that's that's a way of secure relating in that. And so then you were going to talk about the blue in that so same again, two So again, we're just summarizing right at right. this point. But so on the blue, basically, there's a slower appraisal. Right. So the information you don't see, mm-hmm. you don't even take it in. Right. You're, you're not noticing the social stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. You're also not noticing your own discomfort in your own body. A great example of that is you don't notice your own discomfort. Maybe because intimacy might be a little scarier than you realize. You might not even notice that you're feeling anxious about that. And instead you're tuning outside your body, et cetera. And you're yeah, like, you're on right. the computer and you don't look your, lift your head up. Right. <laughs> Somebody comes in, you stay on the computer, you play, you do these things that protect you from accessing your more vulnerable sides or other people's more vulnerable sides, but you don't even really recognize you're doing it because you've shut down that information. Like you said earlier, you're not recognizing you're doing it, but you are doing it. That's exactly right. And again, back to blue. And again, I'm talking about from a brain activity, it's slower it's inhibited. And you know, one of the things they did was they put stress on people that were in this category. Like while they were doing one thing, they also had to do another thing. So there was cognitive strain. And the pushing the information out actually caused uh, stress for the person. So even though it's not conscious, it's very active of like, I'm not going to notice this, but you don't think you're not going to notice this, you just don't. But what I'm saying is, if you could tune in to what's happening underneath your thoughts, you are actively not noticing this. Right. And what's really beautiful is if you do land on that side and you can hear this in a really loving, caring way, it's like all we have to do is begin to tune in and and be more curious and actively engaged with ourself and how we're feeling and ask questions and, and let people talk to us about what they're feeling. Now that sounds really easy, but... <laughs> no, but I think what you're saying, and, and, and I know that we're wrapping up and we'll be continuing to talk about this in other podcasts. There's all sorts of different ways, and that's why we love this material. Once you understand yourself or the people in your lives, there's all sorts of ways to keep yourself in a more regulated place. Now, what's interesting is that somebody in the blue thinks sometimes they're regulated when they're really nice. They think they're calm when really they're really activated. But the more you understand these things, the more that there's all sorts of ways to help you access other parts of you that's beautifully connected and wonderfully wanting to connect to other people. And so, yeah, that's, it's just such an optimistic thing. Right. And then the, just for the, to finish the summary that the red will have a faster reaction and a more intense reaction. I've actually had conversations with people about like, no, I'm at a five. No, you're at a seven. So that there is this mismatch of information going out and information being received. And then we feel justified to be at a seven because it feels like a seven. That's 
an example, but we can regulate when needed. And then the trick on this one is that we will begin to form stories. On the blue side, there's not so much conscious storytelling happening. On the red side, oh yeah, there's stories. We're collecting injuries and we are creating a model. Basically, where we are unconsciously reenacting the model of people aren't trustworthy and I can't trust people. I can't and often those people. stories can come out once you get distracted, once you start expressing yeah. it. You're the kind of person who always says this to me. Right. You'll hear, you might hear, or you might say, if it's one of the 10 examples that you've been holding back because you've been storing it, which can overwhelm other people. And then disorganized unresolved is using a mix of these strategies, not an organized system, but in particular has a negative view of themselves meaning that they're not trusting themselves, they don't feel good about themselves, but they also have a negative view of the world, that there's not a lot of help available. And the mix is that there can be hyperactivating strategies and disinhibiting strategies both in order to keep a feeling of safety and regulation. Okay, boom. So how how do we, we do? Is that too much? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> We've got everybody all dysregulated. Uh, <laughs> I, think. No. I hope not. It's really helpful in my mind and also really comforting because we can... One of the treatment strategies is to understand it so that we can decode it and not just be the moth to the flame and reacting without thought. Right. And when we, when we say treatment strategies, we're saying that for the therapist out there, but we're also saying for, for ourselves, the, <laughs> for the non-therapist out there, for ourselves, even that are therapists, because we all need it, that there's all sorts of strategies. So if you hear the word, the treatment is that there's strategies to learn and to gain, and that's our passion and our mission. So we've covered a lot today, but a lot of the aspects we're going to keep covering at different angles, especially that last part, we're going to be continuing to cover and deepen it at different angles. So this is a broad overview. We hope, we hope you enjoyed it. And for those of you who are wondering if we had gone away, we hope that this shows you that we are not going away at all. We're, even if we're not on the air, we are really thinking deeply about these ideas and working right. on uh, what can help. So thank you so much for listening all the way through. The way that you can help us the most is there's a couple of things. Please subscribe to whatever podcast that you're hearing this on. This is an important thing. And rate us on that podcast player, whether it be, we're so excited to be on Spotify and Google and on Alexa. You can tell Alexa to play us. You can create skills for that. You can, ooh, wait a minute. Think of that. You could be in there with your husband or wife and you can say Alexa play therapist uncensored <laughs> and while you're making dinner <laughs> exactly exactly but what's important is that you actually subscribe so that you won't miss an episode and then to jump on and go ahead and give us a rating that would be super helpful we also have a Facebook page that to our surprise has some sort of rating system and there's only a few on there but we got one rating of somebody who hadn't heard it so our rating is not very good on our Facebook page and they said, I haven't heard it. I don't know yet. So I've, I've been uh, writing saying, hey, once you check it out, why don't you either tell us what you are not recommending or change your thing. But anyway, what I'm saying about that is like we have like a 3.5 out of 5 rating on our Facebook page based on one review. It's totally recommended on everybody else. But since there's only like seven, <laughs> it really oh. pulls it down. So those of you, if you can go to the Facebook page, give us a recommendation if you recommend us, if you think that this information is valuable and helpful. Or give us feedback if you, uh, we love the feedback, positive suggestions. Oh, we've been getting fantastic. 
fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, it's been really fun. Our listeners are so smart and uh, challenging us and questioning things. Love it. And we really Keep appreciate all the all the reviews on iTunes. Those those actually have been just fabulous and wonderful and actually um, very inspiring to us because this is a labor of love. It is a labor of love. So thank you for that. All right. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you around the bin. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson. 